Kids, you can go. Kids on the rocks, right out that side door. Man, it looks good in here, doesn't it? There's a whole lot going on, for sure. Excited about VBS. Excited about sharing the gospel with over 160 kids that are just pre-registered. Always, there's a lot that just show up, and so we're excited about what God's doing. And uh, every year, Michaela and Haley, all the people that helped them, Becky Whaley designed a lot of this stuff. They just do such a great job. Thank you for all that you do and all the people that came help decorate, all the people that are going to be here for the whole week long with kids. Just thank you so much for your heart for the, for the Lord and for your service to his kingdom. You are uh, such a blessing, such a blessing to see. If you've got your Bible with you, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue in Galatians 5 today. And over the last few weeks in Galatians, Paul has been emphasizing freedom. We've been talking about it for two or three weeks now. Freedom in the gospel and the need to stand firm in that freedom. That's what he told us in Galatians 5.1. Stand in the freedom that Christ has given. He told us that in Christ we're, we're free from the bondage of the law. We're free from the condemnation of the law. Free from the power of sin to rule in our hearts. But what is being free what does this freedom look like in the Christian life, walking after Christ? As we enter into the last section of this letter, which is 5.13 through the end of the letter, we enter into this last section, Paul is going to address that very question. He's going to show us what freedom in the gospel, what grace looks like as it is lived out in the Christian's life. And we're going to see that well, yes, salvation, of course, is a free gift of God. It comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. We've been banging that drum since we began Galatians. It's all of the teaching of the Bible. It is a fact. It is a glorious fact. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation, nothing you can do to keep yourself in right standing with God. But we're going to see that the Bible also teaches, and Galatians 5 through 6 is going to teach us that the same gospel that frees us from all condemnation also transforms our heart as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and he leads us in our life to glorify God with our lives by fulfilling the law through love. That's what we're going to see today. Let's read verses 13 through 18. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, Walk by the Spirit, your translation may say in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would speak today. There's a whole lot going on, a whole lot happening in our lives, in our church, in, in so many families. 
I pray, God, that you would help us just to calm our hearts and that you would, um, that you would speak clearly to us, that you would show us what you would have us to know, that you would um, internalize this message and that you would apply it to our hearts, the message of these verses. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we examine the gospel from the Bible's perspective, which, by the way, is the only perspective that matters, we see that there are really two ditches that we often fall into on this road that we're walking of gospel freedom. So on one side of the road of walking in the gospel, you have legalism. We've been talking all about that for most of the book of Galatians. Now remember, legalism is not saying that something is sinful or something is wrong. Legalism is not saying that doing sinful things dishonors God and brings consequences. Someone says, hey, you shouldn't do that, it's sinful. That's not legalism. And saying that obeying Christ and living a holy life is evidence of one's salvation, that's not legalism. Legalism says that you must obey the law, the rules, the statutes, in order to be right with God, excuse me, in order to be righteous before God, to earn your standing, that is a lie, and that's a false gospel. And we've talked about how easily we all can fall into this ditch in our thinking and in our hearts as we're walking on this uh, uh, road of following Jesus. But on the other side of the road, there's a ditch that's called, and it's a big word, it's called antinomianism. You don't have to remember that. It's not gonna be on a test or anything like that. But this says that since we're under grace and we're not under law and there's no condemnation, hey, anything goes. You know, we're free to sin all we want without consequences. Sin in our life is really not an issue anymore. You don't have to fight against it. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not under condemnation, so it doesn't matter if I sin or if I don't. That also is a lie, and it's a false gospel. So as we walk down the road of gospel freedom, we have these two ditches on either side. And to be honest, we fall into them all the time. When we start, we've talked about this, when we start thinking, you know, I, because I've done so good and I've kept this commandment or I went and did this good work or I'm serving wonderfully, that means I'm earning a higher standing because I'm keeping God's law. Or on the flip side, you say, well, God doesn't accept me anymore because I, I'm just not doing good enough. You're in the ditch of legalism. That's what legalism says. And often we slip off into that ditch and then we realize that we're there And we say, hold on a minute, I'm free in the gospel. I don't have to do anything to be accepted. Jesus has made me accepted. And we climb out of the ditch of legalism only to fall into the other ditch and say, well, it doesn't matter what I do anymore. Martin Luther said that most Christians are like drunk Germans. Martin Luther was German. He said they they fall off the horse on one side, then they get back on and fall off the other side. So in the first 12 verses of Galatians 5, Paul has made it clear to us. If you weren't here or whatever, go back and listen to those messages. He's made it clear. Salvation before God is either all of grace or it's all of works. You can't mix the two. It's one or the other. And if you add anything, even something small like circumcision, which was at issue in the book of Galatians, he says you're severed from Christ. Verses 1 through 12, he warned us over and over again, don't fall into legalism. 
Now in verses 13 through 18, and pretty much the rest of the book, he's going to warn us not to fall into the other ditch either. And he begins by saying that gospel freedom is not freedom to gratify the flesh. He says in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, uh, but through love serve one another. Paul reiterates that we're called to freedom. He said that in verse one. We're, we're free. We are free through the gospel, free from the bondage of the law, free from condemnation of the law, And here we're told that freedom isn't just, hey, let it all hang out, do whatever your sinful heart desires. Paul says, yes, you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity. The word means a jumping off point, a staging point for the flesh. That's not freedom. That's slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to the flesh. Now, by flesh, Paul doesn't mean just your physical body like flesh, although that's certainly included, he's talking about our sinful nature, the part of us that is fallen and bent towards sin, that part of us that's that's self-centered and desires whatever's gonna benefit me the best that comes so naturally to us all. Living for yourself doing whatever you want to do, whatever your sinful heart desires, whatever, whatever desire pops into your brain, that might be what the world calls freedom. But living by the flesh is not freedom at all. It's slavery to a heart that is separated from God. Jesus was clear in John 8, 34. Whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. True freedom, what, the freedom we're talking about here in the gospel It liberates us from our slavery to our sinful, fallen will, our sinful, fallen hearts. So so the, the joy of our heart now, our new heart in Christ, is no longer self and selfish desires and the flesh and all the things of the world. It's Christ, and it's loving one another because of Christ. So when the grace of the gospel saves you and washes away all of your sin, frees you from all of the penalty, all of the condemnation of the law, the spirit of God also frees you from the dominion of sin in your heart. To receive the grace of God is also to receive the spirit of God and be transformed into a new creation. Now, yes, We are free from the condemnation of the law, free from the need to keep the law in order to be right with God. You do not have to keep the law in order to be right with God, but that doesn't mean God's law is now thrown away, as if now, because I'm under grace, God is cool with stealing and coveting and blasphemy and lying and gossiping and all of the things. Do whatever you wanna do, do what's best for you, follow your heart. Because there's no condemnation, just live it up. That's slavery to sin. This is the whole reason that Jesus came, because we were enslaved to our sin. Human beings are only truly free when we are transformed to be what God designed us to be, to be what God created us to be. 
We're only truly free when the rule and the reign and the dominion of sin that enslaved us in the garden is overthrown by the power of the Spirit and we are reunited, as it were, to the God who created us for relationship with Him. That's freedom, to be who you're called to be. We're only truly free when we're no longer under the slavery of our fleshly desires that enslaved us at the fall. So Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but use your freedom to serve one another through love. Now, I know none of y'all are gonna admit this, but let's be honest, serving one another through love don't sound a whole lot like freedom, does it? True freedom in the gospel always manifests itself in love. You know why? It's not a new law. Hey, you better make sure you love. You better love better. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what freedom does in our life. Gospel freedom serves through love. The end of verse 13 says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then he says, here's why. Because for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, through love, serve one another because the whole law is fulfilled through love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul didn't invent this idea. Jesus said it. He said, the whole law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two things, all the law and the prophets hang. So the law, its whole intent its whole purpose, the reason why it was given was love. All God's commands, all through the Bible. We're going through them right now in Exodus on Wednesday night. All of the things, all of the little laws, all of the things, they show us what loving God looks like and what loving our neighbor looks like. That's what the purpose of the law is. When you love one another, when you love your neighbor, you don't murder them. You don't steal from them. You don't covet what they have. We comfort one another. We use our tongues for good, not for evil. We make restitution when we cause damage. All of the laws show us what loving one another look like. Show us what loving our neighbor looks like. So all of the myriad of laws and commands show us how to love God and how to love our neighbor as ourselves. But there's a problem. Because the law commands us to love. It shows us what love looks like. It punishes us for not loving. But the law could never produce love in us. It couldn't give us a heart that loves. The law says don't murder and I'm scared of punishment so I don't murder. That doesn't mean that I've fulfilled the law because I don't love. That's the point. What that means, Christian, is no matter how hard you try to live by the law and do the works of the law, you can never fulfill the law, ever. But God, by grace through faith, has freed us from the penalty of the law, and God comes to dwell in us, and the Spirit of God, God himself, produces real love 
in our hearts. And that love, that fruit of the Spirit, drives us, listen to me, to fulfill the very laws that we're free from. Amen to me too. So Paul's saying, yeah, you're free from living under the law, so now go walk in that freedom. And what does walking in that freedom look like? You will fulfill the law as you live out who the gospel of Jesus has made you to be. You see, on the one hand, believers are no longer under the law with all its rules and all its prescriptions, but by the Spirit of God, believers now fulfill what the law intended because we live from the love that is a fruit of the Spirit. Are you tracking with me? We don't live by doing the works of the law. But following God's law is the natural disposition now of one who is walking in the Spirit. The law says don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie. And we live that out. Why? Not in order to be right with God. We've already been made right with God. We keep them because we love God and we love our neighbor. Because God produces the love in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So by the power of the Spirit of God in our lives, our lives as Christians display the behavior that God's law prescribes. Fulfilling the law through love is the result of the Christian simply living out the transformed life that we've received in the gospel. So when Paul says we're freed from the law, He's saying we're no longer slaves to a master who can never be satisfied. The law is fulfilled in Christ. Now we're free. We're free to live from our heart because we have a new heart that we've been given which drives us to live out and to desire what the law intended, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we don't live by the letter of the law, we live from our heart, and we display the behavior that the law required because God produces in us. So freedom in the gospel is not freedom to live for the flesh. That's just going back to slavery to sin. And in verse 15, Paul shows us what living by the flesh produces. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Living by the flesh produces conflict and destruction everywhere, in your life, in your family, in your church, everywhere. Living by the flesh destroys, it consumes. The terms used here in verse 15, to bite and to devour, are, are most often in the Bible they're used to, to describe what animals do. Paul is equating living after the flesh to living as an animal, enslaved to your base nature, living by impulse, living by the natural instinct. It's always me first. As long as I get my way, following my heart's desire, everyone has to do what I want to satisfy my will. If you want to see what it looks like, get one bowl of food and try to feed two dogs. That's what it looks like. That's walking in the flesh. It always leads to dissension, conflict, ultimately destruction of the individual and the community. Paul says, beware. 
if you live this way, you will consume one another. You will be destroyed by one another. Paul's showing that the only way, in this case, the church is in Galatia, that they can survive is not through legalism. That's not the gospel. And it's not through living by the flesh. That's slavery to sin. It's by believers walking in the spirit, following Christ, and living by the love for one another that God produces in their heart as a fruit of the spirit and doing so together as a body. So don't fall into the ditch of legalism and don't go into, back to slavery to sin in the flesh either. Walk in the spirit from a new heart that you've been given. But make sure you understand this. This is, I saved the majority of my time for this last point. Make sure you understand that actually walking in the gospel, in the gospel's freedom, is not something that you can do in your own strength. Make sure you know that. The gospel freedom is being led by the Spirit. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Notice the promise in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Here's the result. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit, it means to go where the Spirit's going, to listen to the Spirit's voice, to follow His leading, to live depending upon Him. So Paul's exhortation here, stand firm in your freedom. It means don't relapse into the slavery of legalism and the law, but neither do we fall back into the slavery of the flesh either. Stand firm in your freedom. The freedom of the gospel means that we walk in the spirit from a new heart, fulfilling the law as he moves us to love God and love our neighbor. Now that is simple enough to understand, isn't it? I mean, I guess so. I hope it was. And it sounds easy enough, right? We're indwelt with the spirit. Just follow him, enjoy the ride. You won't have to worry about anything. But we all know that's not how it works, is it? That's not how life works. What you need to see and what we need to hear today and what you need to know, walking by the Spirit will always be a fight in this life. Because while we're no longer enslaved to the desires of the flesh, they don't go away quietly. Verse 17 the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And these two are opposed to one another. As long as you live in this life, there will always be this conflict between the Holy Spirit of God in you and the flesh rising up against the spirit. Our flesh will constantly war against the Holy Spirit's leading in us. You will never outgrow it. You will never outgrow this battle within you. There's no spiritual principle, no technique, no amount of learning, no amount of theological knowledge. Uh, you can memorize the whole Bible. There's no teaching, no second blessing, no spiritual maturity that is going to elevate you, believer, above this internal conflict between the flesh and the spirit until you pass out of this life or Jesus returns. We will always have this conflict within us. The flesh will always war against the spirit. Spirit will always war against the flesh until Christ 
fulfills all things or we pass from this life to go be with him. In this fight, there's no time off. There's no lull in the battle. The flesh will always be there. It will always be at war with the spirit. So if you're looking for, you know, a, 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 a sermon or a book or a teaching or a doctrine or, 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 or some level of spirituality that's going to finally provide you an easy, carefree Christian life, tiptoeing through the tulips, hugging unicorns and teddy bears. I'm sorry, you can forget it. It's not going to happen. Peace comes from the gospel alone, but walking in that peace means you fight for it. Believer, you are not just the helpless battleground where this conflict is taking place. It's your fight. In every situation, every moment, you will either yield yourself to the flesh or you will yield yourself to the spirit. We either feed the flesh or we walk in the spirit. When we yield ourselves to the spirit, we fulfill the law even though we're not under the demands of the law for righteousness. And we, when we yield ourselves to the flesh, which we often do, the spirit brings conviction. We repent, trust in the gospel, depend upon the spirit, and get up and keep walking. The conflict in us won't end until we go to be with the Lord. And this conflict, the war between the spirit and the flesh that is in every believer, it, it is exhausting. And it's frustrating. But what we cannot do, what you cannot do is give up the fight. Many people think, you know, I've tried what you're talking about. I've tried to be good. I've tried to, I've tried to obey God. I've tried to live like God's called me to live. I tried to, I tried to, to, to go to war and defeat my sin. And I, I, I've tried to stop doing this. And I know it's a sin. I know God's convicted me. And I tried to stop and I, I just can't do it. I fail over and over again. So this just must be how God made me. I try not to sin and I can't do it. So why keep fighting? Because it's useless, it's exhausting, and it's always a struggle and it doesn't seem like I've ever win. Understand what you're doing. You're denying the gospel. Your victory doesn't come from how good you do. It comes from the gospel. Yes, the fight is exhausting. Yes, you're going to fail over and over. But when you say, well, I'm just not going to worry about it anymore, that's denying Christ. It's denying the gospel, and you're choosing to line up with the enemies of the one you say you love. You can keep fighting against your sin because you already have victory in the gospel. Just because sin is inevitable in this life, in this life, this fallen life, just because it's inevitable doesn't mean it's ever acceptable. But Jason, you just don't understand. I've tried with all that I am and I can't do it. I know you can't. That's the point. That's why we must walk in the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means that we are continually dependent 
depending on the Spirit alone and filling ourselves with His Word, communing with Him in prayer, drawing our strength from our union with Christ alone and leaning on one another in the body of the church. We are, we are filling ourselves, feeding ourselves, depending upon the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit to live for Christ. We must fight to be desperately dependent upon God for every breath, every beat of your heart. Because our flesh is always at war with us. And the Spirit is always at war with the flesh. So in one sense, the fight, Christian, is not, I'll be good. Let's fight to do good. Let's fight to be good. Let's fight to... No, the fight is to be dependent upon God. To devote, devote ourselves to seeking Him. That's the fight. And, and it is a fight. And you know why it's a fight. We all know why it's a fight. We know why it's so hard to consistently seek after God in His Word and in prayer and in the fellowship. To continually depend on Him. We know why it's so hard. We know why it's so hard. It's not because we're too busy. It's not because we're too tired. It's not because we're too overwhelmed. The truth is we don't think we need it. Oh, when tragedy strikes or difficulties come, we don't have a problem making time then. But in normal everyday life, whether we say it, I'm talking about all of us, whether we say it or not, we live as though I can do all things through myself who strengthens me. That is walking in the flesh. We think of flesh and we think of sexual desire and base sin and all of those. Yeah, that's included for sure. But more, more often than not, walking in the flesh just means I'm walking independently of God. I'm doing it by myself. I don't need him. I don't need his word. We would never say that, but we live that way. You need to understand, this will be a life long battle in every single Christian heart. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. And no matter who you are or how long you've been a believer or how much theology you know or, or what wonderful nuggets that you've gleaned over the years out of scripture or how many Greek and Hebrew languages you speak or, or what you have done and how you have served, you are not above this battle. There is no Christian that is so strong that they're above the struggle with the flesh. So you know what that means if you're sitting there going, well, I know I'm not strong. It means you are not by yourself. You're not by yourself in this struggle. You're not by yourself in your failures or your striving against sin and failing and feeling like a failure. Every single believer is just like you. We put on a good face. You look around and you think, man, everybody's got it going on and I'm, I just have all these problems. That I, everybody's just like you. We're all at war with the flesh, all in different ways. Nobody so strong that they're above it. Nobody. But you know what else is true? You can't give up the fight because although no Christian is so strong that they're above it, no Christian is so weak that they can't be free from the tyranny of the flesh by walking in the Spirit either. So you need to, you need to know this going in. 
You're not ever going to be so strong that you don't have to battle. And you, I don't care who you are or what's happened in your life or what you've got going on. You are not so weak that you can't strive in the power of the Holy Spirit. So know this going in. You cannot serve one another in your own strength. You can't. You must be desperately dependent upon God. You must be aware of your inability, aware of your constant need for his power. Jesus in John 15 said, without me, you can do nothing. He didn't say this part, but I'm adding it. And when he said nothing, he meant nothing. To be led by the spirit is deliverance from slavery to the flesh and its sinful desires. It's deliverance from the power of sin. It's deliverance from bondage to the law. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, yes, liberty. You're free. You are free in the gospel if you've trusted in Jesus. The grace of the gospel has freed you to walk in the spirit and be who God created you to be. So here's the takeaway. How am I doing? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> here's the takeaway. I got five minutes. In the same way, do you remember when you surrendered your life to Christ and you depended on Christ alone for salvation? Nothing. I, I want no righteousness. I can do nothing. I can be nothing. I don't have anything. I have nothing to offer you, nothing to give you. No, I'm just depending upon the grace of Christ to save me. That's all that I want. You remember when you surrendered yourself and depended on him for that? In the same way, depend on him today to lead you out of this building to your car. Depend on him today to be with you when you drive home. Depend on him to guide your conversation at work. Depend on him to be the parent that he calls you to be. You can't on your own. Depend on him to be the husband or the wife that he calls you to be. You can't do that either, not in your own wisdom and your strength. Depend upon him to be the brother, the sister, the child, the employee, the friend that he's called you to be. What I'm telling you today is, believer, depend on him to be the Christian that he calls you to be. You can't do any of it on your own. You'll end up walking in the flesh, failing over and over and over again. You need the gospel to be saved, and you need the gospel to walk as a new creation by his spirit. And you know what? Learning to walk by the spirit is just like learning to walk as a baby. I was going to say, y'all remember when you learned to walk, but you probably didn't remember when you learned to walk. All of you that have had children or, or have seen children learning to walk, you know how it happens, right? They just scoot around a little while. They don't really do it well. They're learning how to do it, and they finally get up on their feet, and what happens? Smack, and you get up and you go again. Smack, and you get up and you go again. The truth is that you, yeah. What would you think if a dad sat down with, well, how old are kids when they learn how to walk? Like six months, eight months? Whatever, you know, I don't, I don't do all that. A year? 
What would you think if a dad sat down with his year-old baby that's learning how to walk and said, okay, son, I'm going to explain to you the mechanics of walking. What you do is first, you know, you have to shift your weight and then you start with your heel and then you move to the toe and then you start with the other heel and then you move and you just give him this big explanation of how, is the kid going to learn how to walk? No. Until you get out on the carpet and you fall on your face eight, nine times, you're not going to learn how to walk. It's the same way with walking in the spirit. You trust in God. You depend upon him, you fail, you repent, you trust the gospel, you get up and you keep walking. You fail again, you repent of your sin, you trust the gospel, you get up and you keep walking. And you keep getting up and you keep walking until God calls you home because that's what a growing Christian looks like. You wanna grow as a Christian? The growing Christian, the mature Christian is the one who is most desperately depending on the Lord and most aware of their inability to do anything in their own strength and the most determined to trust God because I can't do anything. Growing in Christ is becoming more and more dependent because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Trust in Christ alone. It's not a slogan. It's not a cliche. It's not a saying. And it's, it's not just a saying for lost people. Yes, if today you've never trusted Christ and you're trying to be good, good luck. You're not going to make it. You're separated from God from your sin. You need to trust in Jesus that he died for your sin. But Christian, trust in Jesus. That should be, that should be the... the that should be everything. In every moment, in every word, in every thought, I can do nothing without you. I can do nothing in my own strength. And every time I try, it's proven over and over again because I fall on my face and I cannot live for you. You must live for me. Not for me, but in me. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives through me. Trust in Jesus today and get up tomorrow and trust him again. And then get up the next day and trust him again. And keep fighting, not to be good, to depend on Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I, I just pray that you would take these verses that we've read and that you would apply them to our hearts. God, we, we are all just so feeble in our attempts to live for you. Thank you for the gospel of grace. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Thank you for paying our penalty in full so we have to do nothing. Nothing to earn righteousness before you, to be your children, to be adopted. God, we, we have to do nothing. But also, we can do nothing to live holy before you. We need your strength. We need your spirit. We need your presence ever guiding us, ever empowering us. God, help us to walk in the spirit. Help us to be desperately dependent upon you. Lord, we love you, and we, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
as always, I'm going to stand right down here. I would love to pray with you. I would love to, I'd love to do whatever. And I say that every single Sunday. But you need to know you don't have to walk down this aisle to do anything with God. You don't have to talk to me to do anything with God. You go to God right where you're at. You repent of your sin. You trust the gospel. And then you get up and start walking. Will you stand with me?